Yeah, it says it's recording. Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, so, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, Pastor Clint is elsewhere uh, today, uh, teaching somewhere else, and asked me to do this. Um, it's been a while since I've taught here. Uh, it's actually been about three years. So, uh, you all may get blessed with a very short sermon. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, in spite of what it says up there, uh, Pastor Clint and I talked about this, and uh, the last few times that I've taught here, I've kind of just picked up where he left off. And he said, no, I don't want you to do that this time. And uh, so uh, I took a... Uh, <laughs> probably uh, an undertaking I shouldn't have done, and that's uh, we're, we're going to do a very brief overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's always held a, a special fascination for me because uh, my first time reading through the Bible, and by the way, I don't recommend doing this, reading it cover to cover, because it's not like a novel that you can start with chapter one and go all the way through and get to the ending. Uh, there's a lot of books in the Bible that are not in chronological order. And the book of Ecclesiastes is one of those books, um, and it's attributed to the wisdom literature. Um, I was talking with uh, Forrest about this uh, earlier today that, uh, and actually last night we were talking, and I said, you know, it, it amazes me that, <clears throat> excuse me, it amazes me that there are so many uh, contemporary scholars, theologians, uh, that actually dispute the authorship of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, I mean, I always attributed it to Solomon. I mean, you know. and uh, But there are a lot of people that really, and Drew and I were actually talking about that, and oh, he went in the back. I wanted to thank him for uh, helping with worship this morning because... The last times that I've taught here, I had to worship a cappella, uh, which is very awkward. So uh, wherever you are, Drew, in the back, you'll, you can watch it and you can hear my thanks. Uh, but anyway, um, we were talking about this this morning, about how um, the reason the authorship is disputed is because of certain things that are mentioned and it's like well did that really happen during Solomon's time or, or not but I, I tend to adhere to the authorship of Solomon and the reason being is because if you look at the beginning of the book and like I said, we're, we're only going to do kind of an overview of this because uh, there's 12 chapters. There's no way we would get into the entire book. And 
I wouldn't torture you with that. But um, I would recommend, though, uh, for those of you that have not read this book, I would very much recommend reading it because it is not a very long book. It's actually pretty... I don't want to say it's easy reading, because <laughs> uh, it's very deep. But you can actually read from the beginning of Ecclesiastes to the end of Ecclesiastes in a fairly short period of time. And then you can reread it and reread it, uh, as I have. But um, I have to tell you, I have to start, before I get into the authorship of this book, that um, when I went through my maiden voyage, if you will, through the Bible, and like I said, I, I, I read it cover to cover, uh, and like I said, I wouldn't recommend that. I, I would highly recommend, if you can, go out and get a chronological Bible, because it, it puts things more in, in a chronological order, and uh, especially when you get to the prophets, and First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, and there's so many things that overlap. Uh, it, it's much more comprehensive when you read it in a, in a chronological manner. But I have to tell you, when I first read this book, when, in going through the Bible the first time, um, I had to actually take a, a, a double take and, and go, am, am I reading the Bible? Because it starts, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, we use that term today in a much different aspect than what, was, uh, than what is spoken of here by the author. And whether you want to debate whether it was Solomon or not, you know... Uh, the fact is, it's it's here in Scripture, and it's and it's divinely inspired. Whoever wrote it, but we use you know I, the thought comes to mind the magazine Vanity Fair, okay, and we look at that magazine and we see these glamorous people, and I also think of the piece of furniture that uh, it's not talked about as much today as, as it used to be, but there was a piece of furniture called a vanity. And, you know, it had, it had drawers and it had a mirror. And, and it was, you know, designed to, you know, for you to sit there and make yourself look presentable or, or pretty or, you know, whatever. But the word that, the, that is spoken of here, I, I would actually prefer to replace the word with futility because that is what the author is speaking of. He's saying futility of futilities, all is futile. Now, again, when I first read this book and I'm going, this is in the Bible? <laughs> you know, I mean, but if you if you follow it along and you get through the whole book and you get to the ending and and we'll get there uh, but you actually see the point of this um, the reason I think that Solomon wrote this is because it starts with the words of the preacher the son of David king in Jerusalem 
Now, if you look at the sons of David, you had Amnon, you had Kiliab, you had Absalom, you had Adonijah, uh, and there was a whole bunch of other ones. But none of them qualified as either being a preacher or being the king of Israel. The only one that came close to being the king of, of those sons was Absalom. And that was only because he tried to usurp the throne of David. And then, of course, he was, he was uh, killed. But Solomon's the only one, and, and as you read through this book, he's the only one, in my opinion, that could have written this book. Because it starts with utter despair. And when you read through the book, he talks about, you know, how he had gained wisdom and he had gained uh, power and wealth and, and all of these things. Uh, again, you know, as you read through it, in my opinion, he's the only one that really qualifies for this. Um, if you go back to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1, Verse 7, it says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give to me now wisdom and knowledge. Now I'm going to pause there. There's a, a bit more I'm going to go into, but that was what he asked for. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for wealth or anything. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge. And God said to Solomon in verse 11, Because you have this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have even asked, uh, excuse me, uh, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over which I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings who were before you have possessed nor those who will come after you. Now, again, Getting back to the book of Ecclesiastes, when you when you go through this, and and he, I mean he identifies himself. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's like there's nobody else that qualifies for that. And the book begins with 
despair. It begins with hopelessness. Consider a guy, any of us, okay, if we were to ask God for wisdom, and God gave us that wisdom, and then said, okay, great, you know, I'm going to give you all this other stuff too. You know, I'm going to give you riches, I'm going to give you fame, I'm going to give you glory. You know, even though you didn't ask for that. I mean, we would think, wow, we got it made. Our life, you know, it's, it's perfect. I mean, there's nothing that we need. But Solomon, and, and again, I, 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 whoever wrote this book, I believe it's Solomon, but um, whoever wrote this book gained everything, as you can read in the book. I mean, they, they got to the height of, they had wisdom, they had power, they had riches, fame, and still, he got to a point in his life where he said, it's all meaningless. I searched for wisdom. I got riches. I got power. And none of it matters. Now, it's very hard for me, like I said, in reading this book the first time. Uh, I mean, I've read through it several times. But when I read through it the first time, I it was really hard for me looking at this going... Wow, this is in the Bible. But the point of the story, the point of this book, as you go through it, he, he speaks about the cyclical nature of life. Um, if you get to verse 3, what advantage does man have in all his work? which he does under the sun. A generation goes, and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets. Um, Ernest Hemingway wrote a book called The Sun Also Rises, and he got that directly from this text. And the idea in, in, in that era, it was that, yeah, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. And everything just goes round and round and round and round. And there's no point to anything. And that is what the author of this book is addressing. He's addressing the seeming futility of life. Because when you really look at it, if, if there's no God, then life is futile. You know, Paul wrote that in, uh, in one of his letters. He said, if Christ is not raised, then we're miserable. We're, we're to be the most pitied of all people because we're, we're holding on to something that's not real. But it is real. And, uh, and again, like I said, I keep referring to the author as Solomon. But the author of this book addresses that repeatedly throughout this book. Um, I was actually 
uh, kind of joking with, uh, with Drew that we should have, uh, we should have picked a, um, uh, a secular, there, there's a secular song that the birds made popular. It was written by Pete Seeger and it was, uh, uh, recorded by the birds and it was called Turn, Turn, Turn. And some of you may have heard that song, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read from chapter three of Ecclesiastes because this is where they, I mean, Pete Seeger took the lyrics for that song almost verbatim from this chapter of Ecclesiastes. There's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. And and it goes on. And uh, But it... it it's like in today's age, we look at it that way, don't we? I mean, we go, well, you know, there's a time to go to work. There's a time to go home. There's a time to mow the, lar- uh, the, the yard. There's a time to celebrate with friends or, you know, whatever it is. And again... It's addressing this cyclical motion of, yeah, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you know. <laughs> but the again, the the point of this is that without God, life is meaningless. We have no hope if there's no God. Because the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set. The sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're going to do the other thing, whatever. And then we're going to die. (laughs) But, as I said, um, the writer of this book gets to the point eventually of yeah, apart from God, life is meaningless. Um, there's another reason, I'm, and I, I want to point to this again because I, I, you know, I'm really as those of you that know me uh, to any degree, you know that I'm really a stickler when it comes to semantics. Uh, words matter, and um, I, I have to get back to who, who I believe is the author of this book, being Solomon, because, again, not only was he a legitimate king of, uh, in Jerusalem, but he, uh, he's the only other one that could qualify as a preacher, and I'm going to actually point back to 
First um, Chronicles twenty-two eight through ten, and <clears throat> this is where Solomon was charged with the task of building the temple. God told David when because David wanted to build the temple. And God said, no. You have too much blood on your hands. And and this is starting from uh, verse 8 in uh, chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name. Because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest and all his enemies on every side. For his name shall be Solomon. If you go also to... Second Chronicles 7, this is where the Shekinah glory uh, filled the temple that Solomon was allowed to build by God. And it says, now when Solomon had finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests, and here's the, here's a key thing that needs to be uh, recognized: the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Now, when you when you go down a bit to verse seven of that same chapter, chapter seven. Then Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to contain the burnt offering. I I, I talked about this before several years ago that Solomon was the only person in recorded history as far as the people of Israel, um, beside Christ himself, that actually functioned as king and high priest. That's why I believe with all my heart that he's the only person that could have written this. And then he goes on, how God set eternity in the heart of man, the evils of oppression, the seeming futility of life. And by the way, that word vanity, which, which I, uh, I like to uh, I like to mix the word in there, futility, like I said earlier, it appears 28 times in this book. But then he goes on to say, 
contrasts wisdom and folly. He contrasts, you know, seeking true knowledge and just exploring life. And that's basically, again, when you look at the life of Solomon, when you look at um, in, in 2 Kings and you look at uh, Chronicles, the guy had, what was it, 300 wives and 700 concubines? I mean, it's like, are you nuts? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, it's like, and, and the thing was, most of his wives and concubines were foreigners. God had commanded them not to seek after foreign wives because they would turn their hearts away from him. Well, you look at Solomon, that certainly happened in his case. I mean, he thought, he, he, he adopted syncretism. You know, it was like, okay, well, I can worship God, and I can worship these idols, and that's okay. I just, I'll just put God up here and put these idols beneath, you know. And, and God was like, no, you, you can't do that. And that's why, again, and not to beat a dead horse, but I believe that it was Solomon that wrote this book because if you look at his life, if you study other books in the Bible and you read what happened to him, I, I believe he wrote this book toward the end of his life. I believe that he... He asked God for wisdom. He asked God for knowledge. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you, all, I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to give you this other stuff too. And he didn't do too well with that. And I don't think any of us would either. I, I think if, if we were to relay this to our lives, It, it, it kind of reminds me of, and I promised Pastor Clint that I, I was going to try not to use a Star Trek analogy, uh, but I'm going to anyway. Um, there was a original series Star Trek episode where they went to this planet, beautiful planet. They were going to have shore leave there. And... After they were there a while, these strange things started happening. Uh, they would run into people that they knew from their past, or uh, a, a tiger appeared out of nowhere. Uh, there was one, ep uh, one scene where a samurai came out of nowhere and started attacking Sulu, you know. And, and, but you get to the end of the story, and... This, this guy comes out, you know, this magistrate comes out and, and explains to them that this planet was created for people to play. And, and Sulu he said, you know, as, as far advanced as you are, you still need to, pray, uh, to play. And, and, and Kirk chimed in and said, the greater the intellect, 
the more the need for the simplicity of play. And um, I think that's what happened to Solomon. He had so much wisdom. He had so much power. He had so much wealth. I mean, people came from all over the world. The Queen of Sheba was one that, that I mean, they wanted to sit at his feet and listen to his wisdom. And it was like he had all of that and it wasn't enough. He needed more. And so he, he did what I would call hollow pursuits. Another Star Trek episode title, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, but I'm not going to go into that one. But um, it was like the more he had, the more he wanted. The, the greater his, his mind was. And, and you got to realize, this man was... Scripture says that he was the wisest person who ever lived on the face of this planet besides Jesus Christ himself. And, of course, our Lord Jesus was incorruptible. So he could have great wisdom. He could have, you know, power or whatever. It didn't touch him because he was incorruptible. Solomon, unfortunately, was not in that category. And, and like I said, I, I honestly think that he went through his life trying to get the next high, the next thrill, the next adventure. And the more he went through it, 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 it wasn't enough. And then as he got to the end of his life, that's when I believe he wrote this book. Now again, like I said, this is a very brief skimming overview of this book. Because there are 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. And like I said, you can read through them at home. And you can get through them fairly quick. But I guarantee you, when you read through it, you're going to go, I want to read that again. Because there is so much, there are so many nuggets, there are so many uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, There, it's just a deep book let's put it that way I, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for but uh, the more you read it and, and this is part of the problem that I had in doing this book as many times as I've read it and uh, not to be braggadocio or anything but I've, I've read through the book of Ecclesiastes probably 50 times and the more I read through it the more I realize how much I don't understand it. Um, I'm going to use another secular analogy. Uh, there's probably a lot of you uh, that are older <laughs> that know who Don Henley 
is he, he used to sing with the Eagles. And when he, uh, after the Eagles broke up, he did a song called Heart of the Matter. And there's a line in that song, there, I mean, there's several lines in that song that to me are very profound for a, uh, a secular song, but there's, there's one line in there especially where he says, the more I know, the less I understand. <laughs> and it isn't just Ecclesiastes. It's any, I mean, you know, you, you can kind of go through Genesis through Joshua. Uh, that's pretty much historical. It's pretty much in a chronological order. But when you when you, you get into some of the other books, it's like um, the more you read it, the more you need, the more you realize how much more you need to read it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Ecclesiastes is definitely in that category. Um, but like I said, uh, I'm going to conclude. Uh, like I promised you, it was going to be a a short sermon. But I'm going to read the entire chapter of chapter 12, which is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun... And the light, the moon, the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. In the days that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute. I can relate to this because the older I get, the more I can relate to this. You know that where it talks about the the watchmen of the house tremble, mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. The older I get, the less and less teeth I have in my mouth. <laughs> so I can certainly relate to this. But he goes on to say, and those who look through windows grow dim and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, the caperberry is ineffective, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was 
and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, again, futility of futilities, says the preacher, all is futile. And then it ends, the conclusion, verse 13 and 14. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So, the point the author is making, and again, like I said, I believe it's Solomon, but he's pointing out the fact that we're all accountable. However we live our life, whether it's for good or evil, whether it's for self-pursuits or charitable work, if we do it out of our own motivation, it's meaningless. But if we do it because we're motivated by God, then it has everlasting implications. And in fact, actually, whether we do it for God or not, everything we do has everlasting implications. Uh, there is going to come a day where we're going to stand before the judgment seat, and if, if we're not saved, we're going to stand before the great right throne judgment. If we're saved, even then, we're going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. And we're, we're going to give, have to give an account of, you know, what did you do with your life? You know, what did you, what did you do with the time that I gave you? And I got to tell you, um, I really, uh, <laughs> uh, I really feel bad for anybody, any of the people that are standing behind me uh, before the bema seat of Christ, because I'm going to be standing there a very, very long time explaining, you know, <laughs> how I squandered things in my, you know, how I squandered time. You know, you can get back a lot of things. You can get back money. You can get back possessions. But the one thing you can't get back is time. And it's the one commodity that God has allotted to us. It's like you got you got this much. What are you going to do with it? So, uh, I hope. Hopefully, I didn't run through that too fast. I hope uh, that was okay. Uh, I, I hope, like I said, I really hope that a lot of you will go home. If you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes, I would, I would definitely recommend reading it. Uh, and if you have read it, reread it. Um, and try to put it in perspective with what's going on today. Because we... I know I, uh, having been a Christian for many years, I sometimes get very cynical. Just like this book. You know? What's it all about, Alfie? I mean, you know, it's all futile. You know, it's all worthless, you know. But 
God keeps reminding me. And, and you know, when I reread and reread this book, it's like, yeah, without you it is. So I hope that's been of help. And I would challenge uh, all of you, like I said, to read, at least read this book if you haven't read it, and reread it if you have. But try to put it in context with what's going on today because there are so many things. We, we live in a world right now where, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too political here, but with the recent election and uh, the upheaval that has been going on politically and in our just, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's really, it's really easy to get into that mode of, of being cynical, being, you know, looking at it like, yeah, life is futile, but, um, but trusting God, like it says at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, if we continue to, Keep our eyes focused on him. Life may still seem meaningless and it may still seem futile, but at least we can, if, if we keep focused on him, we can realize, well, it may seem meaningless to us, but it's not meaningless to him. Father, We're all broken vessels. And it's easy for us to take that, that road, you know, that, that life is futile, that life is meaningless. But we thank you, Father, that you are there and you are in control in spite of ourselves. And help us, Father, help us to just keep that always forefront in our minds and then whatever else happens it'll fall into place because we're focused on you and as long as we make you our priority then everything else is secondary and and it'll all make sense. One of these days, we'll get there. We'll be, we'll be in front of your, your Bema seat. And even, even though as scary as that can be sometimes, uh, we're grateful, though, that you will be there with us, that you will at least welcome us in, whether, whether we have to... <laughs> give a lengthy account or not um, we're just grateful for you Father and just, just help us go out today with keeping you our priority in Jesus name Amen